0: I think one of the things that I find really difficult about the fact that I was quite young when my parents died, this sounds really depressing, it's not, it's quite a funny story, right? I know it sounds like I'm not going somewhere good for this, but I am, right? Is that I'm embarrassed by my teenage years, right? And I feel like I didn't get enough time to let them know I was gonna turn out all right, okay? So with my mum in particular, I was 19 when when she died, So I wasn't really very far from being a grumpy teenager. I feel like I was still in that phase of being a very moany teenager. And I was a very moany teenager. I feel like I didn't get time to show that I was going to become quite a responsible adult in the end, you know, she didn't get to see that. And I was 26 when my dad died. So I feel like he saw a wee bit more of that, but genuinely felt like I didn't have time to turn it around enough. I was constantly arguing about everything as a teenager. Genuinely always going on about how things are not fair. And I was laughing because I would say that my children now are similar to what I would have been as a teenager and they're much younger. That's all we'll see, right? So I feel like I've got a good way ahead of me. And like most young people, I longed for the day when I could make my own decisions, when I could do whatever I wanted to do. You know, when you're a teenager, you feel you're so oppressed, don't you? You feel like everything's so hard for you all the time. When in reality, you don't know how lucky you are. I used to moan about occasionally having to do the dishes. You know, that was some my thing that I would do sometimes. And it used to make me so angry that I had to do these dishes on occasion. Little did I know, right? That with my adult freedom, I would get to do the dishes every day. Sometimes multiple times a day and for everybody in my house as well. That's what freedom looks like as an adult. But freedom is a funny thing because it doesn't always look like how we would expect it to look. So as I was preparing for this week, there were a few passages coming to mind for today, and I really struggled to know what I was going to pick, what I was going to focus on. And so I'm breaking all my own preaching rules. I've decided I'm going to do all the verses, right? I'm going to do all the verses today. And we're going to think about what God says about freedom throughout scripture. And the fact that I've picked all the verses means that hopefully there'll be something in here for everybody so that's exciting so I want us to start with some of the most famous verses about freedom in all of scripture and it's from Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 and it says this it is for freedom that Christ has set us free stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery and they can just remain on the screen for now So it's important when we read these to understand who paul was speaking to when he wrote this and it's important that we have a bit of background to this verse so if you're new here today then i apologize if this is maybe a bit more than what you were needing when you came today but hold on because like i said we're doing all the verses so there'll be something else that's hopefully for you so you remember that god gave the law the ten commandments to moses in the book of exodus and he gave the ten commandments as a beautiful way for his people to live really well and to honour him and all that they were doing. And as people tend to do, they took it too far, right? And they decided that they would live by the law as if it was going to save them. They put so much emphasis on the law, doing everything right. And they actually created so many more laws than God ever gave so that they could live by the law really, really well. So God gave the Ten Commandments and they were given loads and loads of other laws To say, let's live like this and then we'll know we're really living well and we will be saved. This was their approach to the law. And as you can imagine, it created this legalistic culture where people began to judge who was in and who was out based on how well he lived by the law. Now in Jesus, God changed everything. He didn't decide that the law wasn't important anymore. The law was still important, but instead he fulfilled the law. The law leaves us with questions and Jesus is the answer to them. The law couldn't save people, but Jesus would. So Paul is speaking to a people here when he writes these verses, a people who know that Jesus has set them free from the law, but they are still living as if they're slaves to the law. He's saying, remember what Christ has done and stop living under this heaviness as if you are slaves. And this is the message for us as well. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Now this freedom we have is knowing that we don't have to be burdened by living under the law. That means working really hard to earn our salvation by getting it right all the time. Working hard, doing the right things so that we can be saved. The good news we have is that Jesus saves. He offers new life. He brings transformation. He is the one who's fulfilled the law. And so Paul says this, stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. He's saying, stand firm in this new freedom, your freedom that is in Christ and nothing else. Hold tightly to your new life in Christ. Now, I need to offer a caveat for this, one caveat. I want to be really, really clear. Freedom in Christ doesn't mean living in any way that you like. It's not about doing what we want because we're saved, because the law no longer applies to us. The Ten Commandments still stand. God makes that clear by affirming it throughout Scripture. It's not the case that Jesus has done all the work and so we can go about doing what we want now, living in any way that we like. If this is our approach, then we're not really taking seriously all that God has done for us. All that Christ has done on the cross. I sometimes struggle when we talk about what God has given to us and how we can receive it for free. It wasn't free. That word free sometimes gets me stuck a wee bit because I think about how much it cost. It cost greatly. It cost Jesus' life. He went willingly to the cross. And although we have done nothing to deserve it and couldn't ever earn it, it is by God's grace that we can now live in freedom. And that is why we celebrate the grace of God. And if we take for granted what God has done, if we think that we can live however we like, because God has given us freedom in Christ and has covered us by his grace, then it is called cheap grace. I want to read this quote to you, which is brilliant by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And it says this, it says, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring, requiring repentance. Now, repentance is when we turn our lives around. So we preach forgiveness and we say your sins are forgiven, the grace is upon you. But then if we don't turn our lives around and make a choice to live differently, then that is cheap grace. It's baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, coming forward to receive the grace of communion without taking time to honor God in your own heart and know that you've confessed your sins to him. Absolution without personal confession, again, knowing that our sins are forgiven, but without that personal confession between us and God. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. It's trying to receive God's grace to live your life however you like, but actually not walking in obedience to God and being discipled in your life, trying to get under leadership of people, finding out how to know God better in your own life. Grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. What it's saying here is that cheap grace is basically taking half the story and missing the rest of what God has given for us. Cheap grace is not really understanding the weight of all that God has done for you and receiving that. And this is why Paul makes it so clear that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He tells us go and live in a way that is honouring of God and all that he has done for us. He tells us to take seriously this new life that we've been given. And so Paul goes on in these verses to make it clear how we live in freedom. Now, this second part of Galatians, we're not going to read the whole thing. Chapter five, it has some incredible verses about what it looks like to live in the spirit, to live as a person of freedom. And I would really encourage you to read it um, when you get home and have a read through some of the things that God says are are living in, in ways that are really see. It's very interesting and very specific actually. But listen to this in verse 13. It says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. That's all your desires, all your humanly desires, all the things you want in life. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Isn't that really beautiful? This is true freedom. Your freedom is not to serve yourself. It's not to serve all your own desires and your own heart all the time your freedom is to live and to serve others and to love others and again it's another warning here it says don't take your freedom that you've been given for granted jesus died for you to know what it is like to walk in freedom don't then live in a way that is enslaved to every feeling and every desire as if that were your god live as if god is lord and paul talks about this a lot now i think it must. I think it must be because it's so easy to misunderstand freedom because he talks about it all throughout his letters and there's always a temptation to abuse freedom, isn't there? And in his first letter to the Corinthians, he says a great phrase in chapter 6. It won't be on the screen, but listen to this. It says, everything is permissible, but not everything's beneficial. Everything is permissible. Everything's allowed. Not everything's beneficial for you. Not everything's good for you. We've really got to think about that. It says, everything is permissible, but not everything is edifying. That means not everything's going to build you up. We need to make choices and be wise about what we allow into our lives. And this is so good. We have so much choice as Christians, but we have a real responsibility to use it well. Another version of this says, I have the right to do everything, not anything. I have the right to do anything you say. Paul warns, not everything is beneficial. He goes on to say, I will not be mastered by anything. For example, right? God gave us food for us to enjoy. We are supposed to delight in food, enjoy food. It's supposed to be a great joy for us. We have full freedom to enjoy food, but when it becomes our master, when we either don't eat obsessively and we count all the calories and we stress about it and we obsess over it and it becomes really difficult for us, or. When we eat compulsively, where there's no control, and we overeat, and we don't think about it all the time, then, and we just can't help ourselves, then we know that we've tipped over from having freedom to being a slave. That's the difference. We have full right to enjoy food and to have freedom in it, but when we use it one way or another, we don't have freedom anymore, we are a slave to it. And when Paul is writing this, he's writing these verses in the context of sex, which can be so easy to abuse, Now, I feel like this is the third week we've talked about sex in a service, right? But I feel like God must want us to say something about it because it keeps coming up. All the preachers have prayed independently. Everybody has sought God in the scriptures. And again, when I was coming across these verses, again, it's written in the context of sex. So I think we must need to think about it. It's good my mother-in-law is not here today, isn't it? It's the first week she's missed church in about three years. It must have been divine because I'm talking about sex. And my husband, which is really good as well. He's off. My wee boy was sick, so he's at home. So God, and Paul is talking about the gift of sex within this passage. He says that God created sex for within marriage. That's why we're doing this marriage course again, because actually marriage is one of God's most beautiful gifts for us and he doesn't want us to abuse it and he wants us to invest in it. And that's why we do these marriage courses. Marriage is so, so important and sex is important within marriage. Sex is to give God glory and to have joy in it. God created it. And so we need to be careful not to abuse it. But Paul is speaking really boldly here about how people have used their freedom in this area in a way God had not intended it. And some of the most beautiful verses come from this passage because God says this You were bought at a price, right? You were bought at a price. And he says it within this context. And he says, Honour God with your bodies. Your freedom was bought at a price and actually I think this is a challenge for us in a lot of areas I mentioned eating which is really important sex is within this passage but also abuse of our bodies with what we put into it we need to have a think about what we're putting in lots of us here are in recovery from various substances we need to think about these things God has something to say about it or what about overworking our bodies not resting that's just as important God says we have freedom to do what we like, to work hard, to take rest. We have choice to decide how we do that. But when we don't rest well, when we abuse our bodies, when we overwork, when we don't take rest, God has seen something about that. Freedom is easily abused and he longs for us to fully enter into all that he has for us. Fully embrace the freedom to live well. And I've really been challenged by this lately. I've been challenged by this. This. I'm in a season of life where everything's a blur, right? I've got young kids. So my time is not my own in so many different ways. And I have um, felt like God has been opening my eyes to all these things. The things that I've done in survival, out of exhaustion, the chocolate bar to keep me going through the day, the can of Coke, you know? Um, the lack of sleep or choosing TV over sleep when God's saying, you need to rest. And I'm craving my own time and I just want to switch off. God is speaking to me about all these things. And he's saying that he has made us for more, more than this. Now, again, I've been in a season, so I'm having grace on myself. But he's been speaking to me to say, you're coming out of this season. Time to think about these things. So I'm becoming more aware of my eating. Thinking about what seals my body. Thinking about what makes me feel good. How can it bring glory to God? Exercising not for weight. Exercising for strength. Exercising for health. Getting more rest, taking a wee nap when I can to recoup the time I've lost in the night, right? That is God-given. That is God's glory. Thinking about healthier rhythms in my life. Trying to take my Saturday off, by the way, if I ignore you on a Saturday, because I'm taking my day off. So that's why. Trying to take healthier rhythms of rest. God says we have freedom, but use it well to live well. And I think we'll come back to some of these things in another sermon series because I think these things are really important. And God is speaking to the church about a rhythm of rest and a culture of Sabbath and making sure we honour God in our work, in our rest, and all these things. So for now, I want us to look at two stories within Scripture and we're only going to look at them briefly, so don't worry. And I want us to think of examples of what freedom looks like in these verses. So the first one is from Luke chapter 15. And Richard's going to read them for us. He's going to stand and he's going to read them. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 24.
1: Jesus continued There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to the citizen of that country, who sent him to his field to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am, starving to death. I was sent out and go back to my father and say to him, But the father said to the servants quick bring the best robe and put it on him put a ring on his finger and saddles on his feet bring the fattened calf and kill it let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found so they began to celebrate
0: so i feel like the prodigal son story is a great story to help us think about freedom and when I read it, I feel like I can see the youngest son in all of us. You know, this is teenage me, right? So he's gone to his dad. He said, I am a wee bit fed up here. I'm going to go. I've got, I can make better choices for my life. Can I have my inheritance now, please? And he goes and he decides to live however he wants. And he thinks he knows what is best for him. He thinks that with his freedom, he can do whatever he likes and he'll be having a great time. He wants to fully make his own decisions. So he takes all the money. He goes traveling. traveling. And I think he thinks he's living his best life, right? And I'm sure for a while he was. But then he thinks he's experiencing proper freedom until he finds himself in a position where he's used all he's had. He's a mess. He's living the consequences of his choices, living the consequences of his sin. And he's quite literally in the pig pen, feeding himself with what he's feeding the pigs and realising how far he's fallen. And so he decides to turn back to the life that he had before. So freedom for him, freedom, meant squandering all he had, all he had been given. This freedom that he was searching for actually meant finding himself stuck in further bondage with all the choices he'd made. Freedom meant ultimately being trapped in a life that he thought he wanted, and actually it was just a mess. And then freedom meant returning to the life that he once rejected. He realised how good he'd had it when he gave it all up he realised what his father was actually offering, true freedom, and he ended up back there on his knees when he realised that his ways weren't the best ways. And we know the amazing thing about this story is that it represents a life with God. When the son returns to his father and the father doesn't give him a lecture, instead he runs to his son, throws his arms around him and celebrates that his son is home. He was lost, but now he's found. And it paints a picture of our life with God We are so often like the youngest son, choosing a life that we think is better than the one that God is offering. And even if you've not walked away for a long time, we do it in our day-to-day life with our choices. I'll just do this, I'll just take this job, because this job pays better. God might be leading you in another direction, but are we really obedient? We think we know best. We are often like the youngest son until we end up on our knees and we realise that God has given us even greater freedom than we could have found for ourselves. We have a God who doesn't give us a lecture, but he picks us back up. He puts us on a right path with grace and gives us the best option for the rest of our lives. If you're here today and you're returning from a time away from church or from God, or maybe you're here for the first time Or maybe you've been here the whole time, but you know that your heart has been far from God. Then please know that what God has for you is better than anything else that you could choose for yourselves. And he knows that that he is welcoming you back with open arms. See him as Father God, who doesn't give you the lecture, but actually just says welcome home. No judgment, not even a question about where you've been, because he knows. But actually a welcome and a celebration because you're home. And then there's another story that I want us to look at, which is different about being freeing when Christ again. And so Ruth's going to read from Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50.
2: Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man had a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him five hundred denarii, and the other fifty. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of, debts of them both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who has the figure debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Judith said. Then he turned towards the women and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, you did not give me any water for my feet but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped the her hair. He did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. He did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, "Your faith has saved you."
0: So there's another level of freedom here that this woman even feels she is able to approach Jesus. She would not have been invited to this dinner. Absolutely, she shouldn't have had access to Jesus. The disciples were gathered around him. She was a woman in this time that would not have had access to Jesus. She does not have a seat at this table, and yet we see the most beautiful freedom as she places herself at the feet of Jesus. And she knows that she's invited by him, regardless of what everybody else says. She is free from the shame of her sin. She puts herself before Jesus and Jesus speaks boldly over her, that her sins are forgiven. And there's a really beautiful moment where Jesus um, speaks to Simon on one side and the woman on the other, and he compares the two. And he knows that this woman has come absolutely broken with nothing. She has come in all of her sin. And actually, if you want to identify with anybody, you want to be the anointed woman. You want to be the woman who came and poured out everything to Jesus because Simon, he was one of the disciples and he thought he was fine. He's sitting at Jesus, could have had everything from him, and yet he was sitting in judgment rather than knowing that he needed the grace of Jesus. And Jesus taught him a lesson in that moment. She's free to worship extravagantly, and that's what she does. She She brings all she has. She kneels before him. She pours it all on his feet. And that is a beautiful act of worship. We don't really get that right now, but she is pouring herself out for Jesus. She's not caring about what anybody else is saying. And she's free from people's opinions. Wouldn't you love that? How do we still think about what people think of us all the time? She is free from it. And I can imagine the grumbles in the room. I imagine the shock as they realise that she was there and she was staying, you saw Jesus wasn't putting her out. And I imagine they were shocked and they couldn't believe it. And yet she still stayed. I feel like I would have been sweating, you know, with the eyes on me thinking, oh, no, I'm not supposed to be here. She stayed. She poured herself out. She was not bothered by the other people in the room. She was free from embarrassment. She was not worried about what people would say about her. She was not worried about being a crazy Christian or a Bible basher, as it were. She was absolutely wearing a heart on her sleeve. Christ was going to be glorified in this moment regardless. She wore it as if it was a proud banner. And this is what it looks like to really know the grace of God in our lives. We can only really know God's freedom in our lives if we know how much we've been forgiven. If we know that the grace of God has been lavished upon us. Jesus made it clear the fact that this woman was so sinful meant that she knew how much God had forgiven her. And it meant that and um, she even knew that her own weight of her own sin was going to be lifted by jesus and that gave her the greatest freedom when everyone else was mortified at how she acted she had no shame she would worship regardless of how she looked she would give everything she had to jesus because he had given her so much more so as we're finishing today i just need to be really honest that, and say that i've had an absolutely rubbish week right it's been terrible there's been so many things that have been happening you know that way when It was just one thing after another every day. And then by Friday, I was at the charter and I was working, trying to get my sermon together for Sunday. And it was, I just had no time. I had problem after problem coming at me from work stuff, from home stuff. And I was honestly on the verge of a (laughs) breakdown. Genuinely on Friday, I felt like the tears were welling up. I was sitting at the cafe like this, trying to like poke them back in my eyes. And I felt God say, there is breakthrough and freedom, even in our heaviness. Even the things that I'm carrying, when I felt like God was speaking to me, he was saying, I even give you freedom from the heaviness that you feel right now. And I thought, right, well, here's a moment to practice what I'm preaching. So I went next door in the cafe and I went into the space and I put a song on it. I just started to worship and the people would have thought I was actually mental because people coming into the cafe are just in for soup, right? Then I'm next door singing away with my hands in the air like crazy women. And I did not care one bit because God tells us to cast our cares upon him. And he tells us that he will lift every burden that we carry. He says he will keep in perfect peace those who are steadfast, whose minds are fixed on him because they trust in him. And I needed to worship and I needed to cast my cares and I needed to know that God was trustworthy with whatever I was facing. And so God reminded me that he has given us freedom and all these things. So if you're here with heaviness today, Be reminded, you can cast your cares. God will give you freedom in the heaviness as well as everything else. So where are you in this? As we're finishing just now, where are you in these stories? Are you taking advantages of the freedom that God has given to you? Are you using the things that God meant for your good, and actually keeping yourself stuck? Are you dabbling in the sin of your old life? and the things that you know are not good for you? Are you got one foot in and one foot out trying to live both lives? Are you the prodigal son, the prodigal daughter? Have you been lured into thinking that there's a better way of living when actually God has the best for you? Are you better making choices on your own? Or actually should you be surrendering to God? Are you challenged by the woman who anointed the feet of Jesus What would it mean for you to fully give your life over to God? Are you still keeping things back? Have you been here for ages, but you're still keeping bits of your own life? Or do you need to be fully surrendered to God? What would it look like for you to worship God even more extravagantly? Whether that's surrendering more, whether it's being more physical in your worship here, whether it's your own private times with God and giving him all that you've got. Are you keeping your emotions back? Have you got bits that you're hurting with that you feel that you need to surrender over to God? What would it look like, say, to live with your sins forgiven without shame or embarrassment?